This, 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 this is mythical. Welcome to Ear Biscuits. I'm Rhett. And I'm Link. Joining us today at the round table of dim lighting. That's right, dim. I'll go with it, okay? Yeah. I saw some of your uh, uh, comments on SoundCloud, your Biscuiteers, and tweets saying that I should go with dim lighting, and I'm gonna do it. Because it's correct. No more arguments. No, just because the people have spoken. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. I think we've determined over the years of being internet trainers, it doesn't matter what's correct. It matters what the comments say. Okay. Don't you, so can you we just, just live with that? Just follow the comments. Can we just live with that? Did you that? say who was joining us? Uh, no, joining us today at the round table of dim lighting is uh, our, me and Rhett. Ourselves. Yeah, both of us. It's another Rhett and Link only ear biscuit and uh, I am excited about this, Link. Uh, we're gonna be talking too, yeah. about the weirdest, oh, well, I almost knocked. Turned over your water bottle. Sorry, I almost spilled water right in my lap. You're that excited. Yeah, I'm so excited, I'm spilling but, things. The weirdest But the sci- cap was on it. So. Yeah, it was. The weirdest scientific experiments ever. Um, and the great thing about this is this is the kind of thing that we would normally talk about on Good Mythical Morning. Right, and so I would say that this is an experiment in and of itself as mm. an ear biscuit. Um, I mean, we try to limit our uh, Good Mythical Morning episodes to around 12 minutes. A little less, a little more, that's kind of how we approach it. But there's lots of times that we just wanna keep talking about something or we find something that we'd wanna talk about on GMM, yet we find that it, we would have to give it a short shrift. A short shrift? A short shrift. Yeah, so, we're gonna so, give it a long shrift, whatever a shrift is, we're gonna give it that today because we want to actually explore these things in a more conversational setting and not have to hurry through them because any one of these experiments that we're gonna talk about this week could be its own book, its own, well, at least its own episode of GMM. Oh yeah, like a Russian scientist creating a two-headed dog. Yes. Yeah, things are gonna get a little weird and interesting on this biscuit. But first we wanna mention our sponsor, EF College Break. EF College what? EF College Break. They make travel easy, affordable, and even more fun for anyone 18 to 28. College not required. Okay, this is really cool. Um, you're young, you should travel mm-hmm. and experience global experiences while skipping around foreign destinations. But the fact is, it's logistically difficult. You could spend hours searching the internet for flights and hotels and coordinating transportation between cities with sites and getting tickets for sites in advance and dealing with closures and cancellations and delays. That sounds complicated. You could just let EF College Breaks travel superheroes do all that for you. They take care of booking flights, places to stay, transportation while you're there, site and event coordination, and provide you with a tour director who's a local expert. It's like you get a Sherpa for wherever you're gonna travel. Uh, they Wh- built- Which some places is literally a Sherpa. Actually a Sherpa. They've built group trips across six continents. Uh, there's only seven continents, people, so that's almost all of them. Maybe they don't go to Antarctica yet. Uh, but everything from trekking Machu Picchu, cruising the Greek Isles, uh, exploring London's pub scene. Those are just a few of the trips. And almost half of college break travelers sign up solo. So you won't be alone if you sign up alone. Yeah, they call it social travel because you get to meet new people and make lifelong friends by experiencing the world together. Bottom line, it doesn't have to be intimidating to plan a trip outside of the country. The world is out there waiting to be explored. Go for it. And then Instagram us pics uh, so we can experience it vicariously through you because... 
you're no longer 18 to 28. No, you're not. I am so jealous of you. So go ahead, get started on that travel bucket list. You have no reason not to because right now you can get an extra $100 off your next adventure by going to efcollegebreak.com slash and link. I'm on the site now. There's um, an ultimate Europe trip that's 35 days long, Barcelona, wow. Paris, Amsterdam, Rome, other cities uh, in between, Athens, dang. Uh, dang is not a European destination, uh, just to clarify. Link was just saying dang because he's impressed with the, the Euro trip. For $100 off, go to efcollegebreak.com slash Rhett and Link. We also wanna take a second to remind you about Squarespace because building a website can be tough even if you do know your way around coding. Creating something that looks good and works well is a time-consuming affair. So whether it's for your business site, your portfolio, a restaurant, whatever else, in this day and age, you probably need a website and luckily Squarespace makes it easy to build beautiful websites without breaking a sweat. As opposed to breaking a website with a beautiful sweat. Hmm. Squarespace provides simple, powerful, and sleek website templates for you to work with. Uh, templates that automatically scale to look great on any device, movie importanto. Every website you build also comes with a free online store if you need it. Just need something minimalistic but powerful? Their cover page feature also allows you to set up a beautiful one-page online presence in minutes. Before Squarespace, uh, people used to have to fashion websites out of actual web. They had to gather it from spiders. I've heard that before uh, from you, yep. like uh, a few days ago. <laughs> I, I'm not more. I'm not even more convinced. Uh, but you seriously, you can't beat the ease and the value. Squarespace gives you 24/7 online support and a beautiful website for only eight dollars a month. You can even get a, a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. So what are you waiting for? Start a free trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code RET and Link to get 10% off your first purchase. And to show your support for Ear Biscuits. And we want to thank Squarespace for their support of Ear Biscuits. And uh, now let's get back to the biscuit. Will normal people do heinous things just because an authority figure asked them to? I'm going to say, is this is this rhetorical question? You can answer it. You're here. Is it rhetorical? Yeah, but Link can answer it. <laughs> I'm gonna say yes because that would make an interesting experiment if that was proven. Well, and a boring experiment if it wasn't. What if you? Why would you be talking about it? What if you were asked? Okay. To murder an innocent person as part of an experiment. How, how do you think you would respond to that? This is an experiment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No. Okay. I'll go with you. Of course not. You think that? You think that? Let, have, we'll have, come back to this answer. <laughs> Uh, okay. This is a. I've I've gone on record as saying, of course not. I just want to I just want to make sure that you heard that. This is a very uh, a, a well known experiment. It, you probably, if you've been to college and you took a psychology class, you probably heard about the Milgram experiment. I was just looking at the girls, man. All I mean, I'm the girl. Well, when you're an engineering, engineering major, the yeah. girls are in the psychology right. class. I had like three or four girls that I would just look at the whole time I was in the class. It was embarrassing to me, really. The more I think about it, it was like, there's the girl who sits over there with the dark hair. There's the girl who sits over there with the blonde hair. There's the girl that sits behind me. I have to turn around and look at her. It's kind of awkward. Well, there's psychology involved in that awkwardness. So I mean, I never talked to him. What was wrong? You with were me? learning some psychology. Uh, and I'm not sure if we studied this one. I don't remember this. But this study comes from uh, 1961, Yale University. Uh, Milgram, Stanley Milgram, he told his subjects that they were participating in an experiment to determine the effect of punishment on learning. 
Okay. One volunteer who was actually an actor that he had hired would try to memorize a series of word pairs. So I don't know if there were rhyming words or whatever, but it's just two words that go together. So the subject. Was he a volunteer or was he an actor? Uh, he was an actor acting like a volunteer. Got it. But the subject, the person who the experiment was actually being uh, done upon, who I will call the subject, uh, would say the first word and then ask the actor for the for the word pair that goes along with it. So, so the subject would test the volunteer. The exactly. Actor. If if like if I was the uh, volunteer, the actor, and you were the subject, I would try to memorize dog frog, and you would say dog, and I would have to say frog. Got it. I'm sure it was harder than that. Now, if he got it wrong, the subject would push a button to shock the actor. I'm using quotes, shock the actor, because it wasn't really shocking him, it was staged. Shock him with 15 uh, volts, and then he increased by 15 volts each time he got it wrong. Okay, so the guy. This begins to add up quickly if you've ever been shocked. So he would actually, the actor would get it wrong and then he would act like it hurt. Exactly, and uh, once the shock level got to 120 volts, about 120 volts, which is pretty serious, the actor would start saying, hey, this really hurts. He would protest. He would protest. In 150 volts, he would, as expected, again, he's acting, but you don't know that as the subject. He would start screaming and demanding to be let out. Like let out of like, what? I don't want to be in this experiment oh. anymore. I this is crazy. I'm I'm dying here. Stop this. You understand what I'm saying? Like yeah. was he, he he's was he breaking the fourth wall at that point? But not really. I mean, he's not saying he's an actor. He's just saying I want can't take out. it. It hurts. It hurts too much. Was he right there in front of him? Was he like in a quarantine booth kind of a thing? I don't have pictures, but I'm sure you can see them online somewhere. But just assume that he's sitting. I I picture him sitting across now. Oh. At this point, if the subject who's doing the shocking, the person who is uh, doing the shocking, who's being experimented upon, turns around and asks the researcher who's sitting in the room what to do, like, hey, the guy's saying he wants to get out of here, they would always respond with, the experiment requires that you continue. Hmm. The experiment requires, requires that, that you continue. continue. Okay, the results are absolutely crazy. Two-thirds of people, the majority, Continue to press the shock button all the way to 450 volts, which is the end of the scale, which basically means they would have killed this guy if this was real. Oh my goodness, so he, they maxed out the knob. Yeah, I mean the dude's sitting there screaming, you have every indication that the guy is going to die, but because a researcher who's apparently in charge has told you to do this, you keep doing it, what, two what thirds. The, what was the magic? Incantation to get him to continue? The experiment requires that you continue. <laughs> That's now, all you gotta say. Now listen, what do you think about what uh, Milgram wrote? Scary. This is what Milgram wrote in conclusion. He said, okay. I would say on the basis of having observed a thousand people in the experiment and having my own intuition shaped and informed by these experiments, that if a system of death camps were set up in the United States of the sort we had seen in Nazi Germany, Ooh. one would be able to find sufficient personnel for those camps in any medium-sized American town. This is the phenomenon. Just go in it, go in it, you go up to your average normal person people in Lillington, North Carolina, and this tell them the experiment requires that you continue, and they'll kill and somebody, they'll, and they'll just turn up the heat. Mm, that is you, no. So let me compliance. ask you again. Let me ask you again. Would you link 
It's like that show, What Would You Do? Are you in the one third of people who would not do it? Are you in the two thirds of most people who would protest? Everyone likes to think that they're in the one third, but they can't be. They can't be in the one third. At least one third of those people are wrong. I don't think that's uh, statistically valid. What it, you no, just it, said. at least one half of the two thirds people are wrong. No statistics you're about to say is anything you're not making up. But I get your point. One half of two thirds people are wrong. Let's not get into math. This is about psychology. Odds are you're not in the one third. <laughs> that's what you're trying to say. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so, but okay. So I, I okay. Yeah, I'll I would kill somebody if if you said uh, the experiment requires that you kill this person. I wouldn't. Oh, you're in the one third. <laughs> I, I'm, I am confident to say that I, I feel like you're I'm not, in the one third. You are not a compliant individual, but the, but and ne- neither are you. But you put on a lab coat, and I'm, I'm just like, oh, I guess he knows something I don't. Yeah, yeah. But the unfair thing about it is, a, lab coats are involved, and they, ha- and you have to quantify the power of a lab coat. But b, I distrust lab coats. You cannot. N- no person in their right mind thinks that they're about to kill somebody. I mean, they know that it's an experiment. It's not like, I mean, give me a break. Okay. Everybody who okay. is involved in an experiment knows I'm not gonna kill somebody. Well, until I heard, well, I'll take that back because all of, what, what year did this happen? Uh, 1961. Okay, that's still late enough that people would know, but there's some experiments later on that are I can't believe they exist that we're gonna get to, and so, if it was much earlier in time, then I think a murder experiment could have happened and probably has, sadly. Well, but not in the 60s. I would say that people it, would know it's that. a combination of two things people's willingness to submit to authority, and the second thing being the slow ascension. You know, if it was just, okay, you got to press this button and this guy's going to die. No, it's the fact that they went up 15 volts at a time. It's the whole frog in the boiling water theory, which is you do it slowly and he doesn't know. If you submit people to, if you get people to do crazy things and it slowly increases, they're more likely to comply to ridiculous demands if you ease them into it. It's not just say, hey, kill this guy. Increase it by 15 volts. I mean, he got through the last 15 volts. So there's people who are predisposed to uh, submit to authority and those who are predisposed to reject authority. If we're gonna over- really simplify this thing, I wonder if that's one third, two third. I don't know, I don't know math. There's gotta be more followers than leaders, or there's, or you know. Yeah, I think that the, be a lot the of moral conflict. of this one is be in the one third, guys. Don't be, two, don't be in the two thirds, be, be in the one, one third. third. I'm gonna tell my kids about that one tonight. Over dinner? Over dinner, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna hook them up. I'm gonna say, put this cathode on your finger. <laughs> and you got cathodes around? <laughs> yeah, I have them under my dinner table. Every, every uh, I conduct a cathode-based experiment with my children after dinner every Smart. night. Keep, I call it family time. Keep them in line. All right, I got one here. Um, uh, have you ever grabbed an electric fence? Yeah, I peed on one too. I know, I was, I was there. I was looking the other you way. You shouldn't do it, that. It's pulsates. It, no, oh, okay. For the record, you did not pee on an electric fence, and I. But I was there when, like, I we would. On we would have you. Yeah. So I wasn't there for that. But I've I've grabbed one. I've stepped over one and grazed it accidentally. But you know, it's like a ball of electric current goes through it. Through it makes you feel alive. You know. And it pulses. That's the thing that's so amazing about it. Have you ever seen a dead guy grab an electric fence? No, I don't think that could happen. Well, 
it it does if there's like a an, a scientist that makes him do it. <laughs> a scientist was there. In 1780, Luigi Galvani, uh, an Italian anatomy professor, found out that you could make the limbs of a dead frog twitch. Now see, you're talking about frogs. I'm gonna talk about frogs. Okay. Make a dead frog twitch by giving it a shock of electricity. That makes sense And me. then scientists all over Europe began to copy this dude's experiment. Hey, you hear about the guy doing the frog that thing? That sounds like fun, Let's man. all get in on that. You know, it's like, it taps into like what all little boys wanna do. They like to shock things. Yeah, and see him Or move. burn things. Right. Or break things. Uh, but one Italian physicist, Giovanni Aldini, had bigger plans. Mm -hmm. He thought, what's better than electrocuting a frog? Perhaps a corpse. <laughs> That's right, a human corpse. Yeah. And this was no secret experiment either. Aldini took a tour all around Europe demonstrating shocking corpses. Well, this is back. Uh, this was 1803. Okay, yeah, so this is a good time for that kind of thing. You know, this is back when you could show up at a state fair and there'd be a scientist like shocking a dead body. I mean, yeah, what you, happened? We That's the good the, old the, days. Use the term scientist very <laughs> liberally back there. Okay, his most notable demonstration happened on January 17th, 1803, when he hooked up a 120 volt battery to the body of an executed murderer. Uh, George Forster. They used to do that kind of thing. They would do all kinds just of things with people with murderers. Execute murder, just play with them. Just yeah, right. Have yeah, fun yeah. With well, them. He, yeah. He, he murdered people. Let's let's put him on display. Something. Make him a scarecrow or something. Yeah, learn something or get some entertainment value. Yeah. All right. First, he placed the wires on his mouth and ears, oh. and his jaw muscles started to quiver. And then he, uh, Aldini, would, right, he would start like making the making the like the murderers like he was talking. Ventriloquist? He didn't hey, do that. I don't believe I'm that. I'm sorry for my crimes. You're making that part up. I did make that part up. But he did put it on his mouth and his ear. And his jaw muscles quivered. Then his left eye opened oh. and, and looked at the audience. It He shocked him in his left eye opened. No, I'd pay to see that. It was a reverse wink from a dead murderer. Wow. Yeah, I'd buy. I'd, I'd pay five tickets at the fair for I'd, that. I'd do a dollar, which is the, what used to be the cost of seeing the world's largest horse. <laughs> okay, grand finale. Aldini clipped one wire to an ear <laughs> and stuck another wire up the rectum. Wow, that's the butthole, right? <laughs> okay, Forrester's corpse shook and shuddered all around the table. Uh, the London Times described it. Thus, quote, it appeared to the uninformed part of the bystanders as if the wretched man was on the eve of being restored to life. Like he was coming back to life is right. what they thought. Well, when a person moves, it's usually a sign that they're alive. Or that you're killing them. But if he was already dead. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is less of an experiment. I guess there's stuff to be learned in 1803 by doing this and just more of a really cool demonstration. I mean, I was taught as a third grader the difference between a demonstration and an experiment and the difference is whether you can charge admission to it. I oh, think. really? Well, this is definitely a demonstration, but the interesting thing about it is I, I guess at this point they were beginning to discover from a serious scientific perspective that muscles, uh, are activated by electricity. Electricity, yeah. So, I mean, and there were other researchers who tried electrifying corpses, hoping they could bring them back to life. You know, that was part of it. C can we bring these people back? Right, exactly. And uh, you know, if they put Did them Did they? Not that I know of. Okay. But um, these experiments were inspiration for Mary Shelley's uh, writing of Frankenstein, oh, which was 1816 sense. is when she wrote that. Right. Um, so. That's why, you know, Frankenstein had the uh, little, nodes 
on the, on, side, on the of side of his neck. neck. And that's where you hooked him up. I haven't read the document, the novel. But it's not a document, it is a novel. You've, you've seen a movie, I'm oh, sure. A, a novel is a document. I've seen pictures. It's a very long document. I have not, <laughs> I have not seen uh, the movie either. But I would go and see this guy if he did that. You know, they were, it Do you think me, it's wrong? Hmm, ethical? Do you think that this is, uh, well, two things. Do you think that it's wrong to experiment with the bodies of uh, convicted criminals? Hmm. I would say yes. Yeah, I mean, but do but you? But if you donate your body to science, I mean, there's enough people that's who are the doing thing. that. If somebody donates their body to science, do you think at that point? No, let's just go all the way. Let's say that somebody. Let's say that I donate my body to being electrified at fairs. Oh, let's just say I go all the way. I sign a thing that says you can do this. I'm happy to ha- see you to, to have this done to me. Make me Is wink it, at the audience, but my kid, but it's got to benefit my kids. Well, I didn't, you know, you don't have to get into the details. I'm just saying, no, I, I, mean, I willingly submit to right this. Now. But is it wrong for you then to go and enjoy this? Is it is it wrong to enjoy a dead body being electrocuted and positioned in weird ways? Not if they signed a waiver asking for it. If it was the part of their wishes and they were cool with it, then I'm cool with being entertained by it. But I don't want to do it against their wish. I don't want to dishonor them as a as a person. But if I mean if 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 they, if it honored them and it gained, gained some scratch for the kids to yeah. go to college. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, a co- win it's win. A college fund. Everybody wins. Okay, well then let's do that. What do you mean? Let's Whoever do dies first will put the other guy on display as an electric doll. At state fairs around I the wonder, world, we, we really need to Google if we could be arrested for that. Uh, there's some states they want to arrest you for that. We got to find states. those. We got to <laughs> we got to find those states. <laughs> there's some there's some counties. Well, that guy within that, some states. That guy that does uh, they're waiting for it. Body World or whatever that that is. I thought about that. You're that talking guy, about the I mean, skinned artist. The guy, the artist. That I've skins, seen that stuff, man. You paid the money because they charge a lot of money. I don't remember. And this is but in bona fide art museums. Weird. I've seen like one or two displays that are that thing where it's. And what did you learn? It's gross. Gross. I learned gross. <laughs> but if he, if that guy can do that, you go one step further and make them into mobile things. What's wrong with that? Like mobiles hanging from the ceiling? No, just like they become mobile. They start moving with electricity. Robots. Whatever you want to call it. I, I want to do it. If you want in. And we got to get the documentation in place for the college fund. <laughs> right, right. Our, yeah, we need another excuse to talk to the lawyers. So let's <laughs> okay. go for that. Give me another experiment. Okay, I've always wondered uh, that when somebody gets to get uh, decapitated, do they stay alive and conscious for a while? Hmm. It's a, it's this is an incredibly morbid thought. I, I understand. But especially in a case, but like, you're being honest. And this is a safe place, right? There, there's like a guillotine, a guillotine involved, where it's like a clean cut. Boom, your head's off. How long do you stay alive and conscious? Well, and a further question is: under the right circumstances, if you were hooked up to the right sort of machinery, could you just be ahead indefinitely in life? Uh, Get ahead in life, but put, you know, it's put like a pun like that in there. Well. Isn't there, there's like a cartoon character from some series that's just ahead. There's, this has been done a lot, Been actually. done a lot. I know of none of it, but I'm sure everyone knows, and yep, you're right. 
Thanks for telling us. Yeah. Um, well, the Russians uh, back in the late 1920s were also wondering the same very thing. So, <laughs> Soviet doctor Sergei Brokoninko created a machine he called the autojector, which was basically a mechanical heart slash lung. Uh, and using the autojector, he was able to keep the severed head of a dog alive. Mm. He didn't go for human, he went for dog. Cause it, and you're gonna see as we go through this that using animals for these things was much, uh, happened a lot back in the day. Much more accepted than it is today and, and we're not gonna comment on that. Well, we might. In 1928, he brought his dog head to the third Congress of Physiologists of the USSR. These scientists are exhibitionists, oh, man. Like are. back in the day, it was like, I'm not only gonna learn something, but I'm gonna put on a show. Yeah, think about it. He's like, I got this dog head. I'm gonna take it to the convention center. Of course, of course to, everybody's gonna think I'm awesome. I guess to be fair, this this was a physiologist. This was not like a normal like crowd of oh, but people. It's, it's still an audience and of, it's, and it's of an, its peers, and which yeah, is even better. Oh yeah, when you impress an audience of your peers, it, you're even cooler. I mean, he wasn't doing this for science. He was doing this for cool points. Oh gosh, he shows up with this uh, dog head. Now, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, there is a video of this on YouTube. I don't know if it's from this exact demonstration. I think he did this several times. Uh, there's a horrible video. Do not watch it, okay? But I know you're gonna go watch it now, and I'm not gonna tell you how to search for it, but. I'm watching it right there's now. There's a video of this on YouTube. Now It's a dog, it's a, oh, it's a white on. dog's head on a plate with like. Um, Some tubes hooked up. Tubes coming out of the neck of it and he just looks like he's sleeping. Like if you zoomed in far enough, and oh, look at the dog sleeping on a plate. He ate his dinner and then he fell asleep. But the real question is, how do you- Then you zoom out. So ugh. How do you really impress your friends, your scientist friends? Well, you have to prove that the dog is alive. Mm -hmm. You gotta make him wink. So he does the following things. He takes a hammer and he bangs it on the table next to the head and the head flinches. What? He shines a large light into the eyes of the dog and the dog blinks. And then, yes, Whoa. listen guys, he feeds the dog a piece of cheese and it comes out the back of the dog's head because it's just a head. Oh! Dogs like cheese? Uh, dog heads do. <laughs> Apparently. Oh man, and and what are the physiologists doing? I mean, they're just like taking notes. And well, you, Instagram and the crap out of let that. Me, let me explain something to you. We, okay, in the year 2015, I, I'm gonna pontificate, is that a word? Yes, uh, a little bit. In 2015, we know a whole lot of things, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's, when we see stuff like this, it's just, this is heinous, this is wrong, poor dog, this is crazy, these people were nuts. But you gotta put yourself in their shoes, right? You gotta go back to the 1920s when we're, not that we're not still discovering things, but this was just absolutely fascinating. I mean, they are discovering so many things that it's almost like they forget the fact that they've sacrificed a dog to do a cool experiment. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that you gotta put yourself. Culturally. You gotta put yourself in their shoes for just one second. Place. But what ended up happening with this severed dog head is it became a phenomenon in Europe. It became a sensation. Like they gave it a name. Everybody was talking about it. He had it. his own talk show. Like, hey, I'm feed no. me a piece of cheese. Well, the dog didn't live for that long, but uh, it didn't live indefinitely. Did he have a TV special? Not even. Well, TV was. I don't. It was you know pretty rudimentary back there. But I will say that playwright George Bernard Shaw, you may have heard of him, was quoted as saying about this dog. 
I am even tempted to have my own head cut off so that I can continue to dictate plays and books without being bothered by illness, without having to dress and undress, without having to eat, without having anything else to do other than to produce masterpieces of dramatic art and literature. So he saw this as an opportunity. He wanted to be ahead. To simplify his life and I mean, just focus on one thing. I mean, come on, Mr. Shaw. Well, well okay. Let me just ask you. Life is more than just your your occupation, man. Your your masterpieces of dramatic art and literature. <laughs> but you tell me, if it was an option for you as you got old, let's say in in this world uh, there's a new rule when you're 90 years old, if you've made it to 90, what we do is we cut your head off. We either we we either let you just go on and live and then die normally. Or you can get your head cut off, and you can be a head on a plate Ugh. for the net for like a guaranteed fifty more years. Would you do it for for fifty more years? Fifty more years, you'd be a head on a plate. Because answer that one, because then I'm going to add something to it. So a ninety year old head on a plate. Yeah, but ninety year old head's fine. You don't have to worry about the ninety year old body decaying anymore. I thought you were going to put me on a. Like a robotic well, body. Well, yeah, I'm going there. Oh, I'm sorry. What about a plate? Would you be on a plate? I'd shine light in your eyes around conferences everywhere. Yes, yes. F I'll do it for the kids again. <laughs> daddy's daddy's head on a plate. <laughs> well, your kids will be like <laughs> not for their entertainment. For their sixty-five like, years old themselves, you'll do it for oh, the yeah, grandkids. You'll do, do it, it for the great I'll grandkids. I'll do it for the great grandkids. You're right. You're right. Okay. Now, easy. Well, well, you said yes to that. I thought you'd say no. I was going to okay, up I'll the ante. I'll say no. That's gross. Oh, I'm not going to be a head on a plate. Okay. Now you get to be attached to a robotic, robotic body. body, an yeah. awesome RoboCop body. No, I don't. Need, it doesn't even have to be awesome and and RoboCopish. Well, okay. What is it like a Wally? -E like Wally? -E, yeah. Okay. It can just look like. It can just be a. Attach it to the front of a car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like the hood ornament. Of like a the car. hood ornament. Like, but you can control the car. It's like a huge yeah. Cadillac, but you now can. Your head controls <laughs> the I, whole car. I'd make car noises when I drove around. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have to do that. There's still an engine. <laughs> but that would be cool, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we, here here I, I am. And then I could get my head attached to a car. I'd probably go first because I'm a little older than you. I'm a year older than you. Right. You'd be even a caddy. So I, I go first, and then a year later, you become a car. I'd be on a little smart car because so I could get into things, like mm. like I could still go to the opera. Well, I'd be on a scooter then. Well, scooter, a scooter head ornament. <laughs> There's no hood on a scooter. <laughs> That's just head on top, ornament. top of the the handlebars. Head hood ornament. So, uh, but seriously, uh, if my head could I've be put serious. on a, ro a robotic body at age ninety, that'd be awesome. I'd totally do it. I'm totally in. Scientists, please figure that out. Oh yeah, you want me to give you another experiment? Yeah, I do. Um, this one's not gonna be gross at all. Uh, and this one has nothing to do with dogs at all. <laughs> or dog heads. Let's go there to the outskirts of Moscow. Vladimir Dimikov, a Soviet scientist, had access to some German shepherds. Oh, that's all it takes is a Russian scientist <laughs> to have access to German shepherds around 1954. Yeah, uh, he said to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll take the head from that dog and attach it to this dog. Boom, two-headed dog. Oh, yes, he created a two-headed dog in a lab, a two-headed dog, both heads viable. Uh, he started with a full-grown German Shepherd 
Then he took the head and shoulders and front legs of a puppy. Oh gosh. German Shepherd. And grafted them onto the neck of the full grown German Shepherd. And there, there's photos of this. Um, both heads were alive, as I said, and he did this multiple times. Now, uh, people ask him why, and he said uh, that the dogs were part of a continuing series of experiments in surgical techniques so that he could learn how to perform a human heart and lung transplant. Okay, because as we know, sounds like an excuse. Human hearts and human lungs are totally synonymous with German Shepherd puppy heads. Um, well, I will say you don't know that. I mean, first yeah, of all, yeah, I think true. I think a lot of these things are motivated by just you know scientists who are a little bit off their rocker, a little demented. But the weird thing that you definitely have to admit is that these guys figured stuff out. It worked, and in- there's stuff to be learned. But uh, let me guess, did he parade it around, you ask? Yes, all around the world, he took, he took his two-headed dogs. Journalists would gasp as both heads simultaneously lapped up bowls of milk, and then they'd cringe as the milk from the puppy head dribbled out of the unconnected stump oh. of his esophagus. Oh come! Oh, that's I'm just, sorry. Oh, I, cu- I couldn't watch that. I'm sorry. It. I mean, you, it's just pr- like the cheese. I'm a pretty messed up dude, and I couldn't watch that. You know. You watch it with one eye closed. Mm, you think so? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, one eye closed. Goodness. One eye open, and then the other eye would open, and both eyes would be looking at it because <laughs> I know you. I mean, yeah, how many times do you get to see see that? They can't do. You can't do it now. If you travel back in time and you were there, you'd look, I think, with both eyes. The Soviet Union boasted um, that the dogs were proof of their nation's medical preeminence. So they'd made it a political thing. Who else has put a puppy on a dog? (laughs) Puppy head. Uh, Over the next 15 years, Dimikov created a total of 22 headed dogs. Wow. uh, None of them lived too long. They uh, succumbed to problems of tissue rejection. Oh, really? There were problems with this. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the longest one lived like a month, and another surgeon beat him to his goal of learning how to perform a human heart and lung transplant. Oh, uh, because he was probably trying human hearts and lungs. <laughs> well, that's got its own set of complications. But um, that was Doctor Christian Barnard in 1967 who did that. But Dimikov is widely credited with paving the way for it. So okay. I mean, it's right. it's hard for us. From this vantage point, especially as you know, comedians to not just poo-poo this thing or to ooh-ooh this thing or to judge this thing, and but I, I don't know. I'm, well, I'm not taking up for it, but I'm just I'm just observing. Well, you're getting that into people make a connection between the the heart and lung transplant and the two-headed dog again, again. When you're the on, con- and the connection is at the neck, by the way, right, right at the neck, <laughs> not completely though, because the milk still comes out the back of the puppy's head. <laughs> right. Listen, the esophagus stump. I I have a feeling, I have a feeling that ninety nine percent of the people listening to this ear biscuit are mm-hmm. like, oh, this is horrible, and this is the worst thing ever. And clearly, it, this is a, if I had to ex- make a long list of things that shouldn't be done and things that I don't want to see, I, puppy attached to dog is probably on that list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's interesting when you're on the side of the benefit of all these things, how easy it is to say. But if you've got a, if your dad right now is desperately in need of a heart transplant or a lung transplant, 
And the he, experiments. He actually, he actually is. Oh, come on. No, he's not. It, somebody, seriously, somebody. He's, he's doing great. Somebody's dad and somebody yeah. listening to this may be in need of an organ transplant. Right. And would you say that, and this is a moral question, right? This is, this is an ethics question. If we could not have human organ transplants unless somebody did weird stuff like this back in 1954, what would what do you say to that? Does that mean that oh okay we I wouldn't do it I don't I don't want my dad to get a heart transplant I don't want my dad to get a lung transplant we're really getting on the whole hey it, it, it the, the debate rages on and I'm not I'm not intimately acquainted I'm not, with it <laughs> and I'm not and I'm not stating on one side or the other right. I'm presenting the interesting ethical uh, dilemma dilemma yes it, it it is one you can't deny it. you can't just say nope you can't do that you can't do that. Because, you know, sometimes people benefit, and there's whole college courses on that too. That I'm, I'm, I'm sure, uh, pretty girls were in those classes too, mm-hmm. like ethics. I never took any of those ethics courses, so I'm gonna, I'm going to deflect your question and make a joke about pretty girls in ethics right. college classes. Well, let's let's continue on. Uh, let's see what else uh, people have done. How about this? Imagine if you are a bullfighter. Okay, I'm there. You're Eyes are closed. I'm I'm waving the red blanket, whatever that thing's called. It's 1963 in Cordova, Spain. Hola. And your name is Jose Delgado. Tatanka. That's Well, that's different. Native okay. American, but this is Spain. Well, it's Costner. There's a bull charging right at you. Okay, I'm scared. I'm peeing my pants a little. And you have a remote control. <laughs> yeah, I carry one with me at all times. And as the bull charges at you, you're seemingly defenseless. You're standing there. Am I Adam Sandler in that movie where I can just pause life? It's not. That uh, no one's seen. Click. Click. Is that what it's called? <laughs> you actually know the name of it. It's something like that. That may be it. He presses a button on his remote control and the bull immediately stops. Huffs and puffs a little bit and then walks away seemingly disinterested. Docile? Yes. This is an experiment? This happened. Jose Delgado from Yale, another guy from Yale, they did some weird stuff at Yale too, implanted a chip in a bull's brain. Potato chip? (laughs) I don't think a potato chip would have worked. (laughs) This is a microchip (laughs) that was uh, controlled by this remote control. Well, let's skip ca- to the potato chip experiments. Can we cut well, to no, the we'll, chase? We'll do that one. Okay. Uh, he called this thing the stimosiever, stimosiever, and it could com- manipulate the behavior of the bull. Uh, it was a computer chip operated by remote control that could electrically stimulate different parts of the bull's brain. And he could he did things like get it to stop charging, uh, but that was because he was doing a lot of things, including controlling appetite, controlling the emotions, of the, the bull? emotions of a bull. Yeah. All with a remote control. Wow. That, I feel bad for the bull. But well, at least he's got a body. He didn't yeah, sever his head. It's not just the did bull he? head. It's he a didn't full like, bull. He didn't like full put, bull. put the bull head on a remote control car. No, he? he didn't. Okay, good. Now, emotions when, and all that? Yeah, so people are really shocked to hear about this happening uh, in 1963. Uh, this is like a very 
seems like a science fiction movie, seems like, oh, you can't do that even now. But during the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of uh, research into electrical stimulation called uh, ESB, electrical stimulation of the brain. Uh, but it began to fade away by the end of the 80s and most people didn't like the idea because they thought it could be used to control people's minds, people's minds mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. thoughts. And so if we could get uh, computer chips implanted in people's minds, then maybe the government could tap in and control everybody. Uh, but, but, then, but then he's saying, or you could control your own mind and your own emotions. And, well, you know, I'm, it, every, I'm sure people have thought again, that. Again, there are some interesting questions about this. I mean, this mm -hmm. ESB research has been on the rise and there are reports that scientists and researchers are creating remote controlled rats, pigeons, and even sharks in places around the world. But if you send them like over too many stairs at once, it totally breaks and then like your four-year-old is like totally dejected and. Oh, you're like talking like a Christmas present. Like instead of a remote control car, you get a remote control pigeon. Yeah, and then you, it's like, well, if it gets too far away, you gotta chase after it. And, but and it, then, then it's not it's not centered, so when you like you press forward, it, it goes to the left. Dad, why does he keep going to the left? I don't know, son. Well, it's, it's a cheap remote control bull. But the batteries don't run out. That's the worst part of a remote control car, is like you get like 10 minutes. You know, yeah. you're all, first of all, when you get a remote control car at Christmas, uh, you open the thing up and it's like, a, it's not charged. So all we have to wait 12 hours before we play with that. By the, it's the next day, it's the day after Christmas, nobody cares like, anymore. Dad, the bull's just standing there. He's not no, doing no, anything. No. Well, you gotta charge him up. Well, no, but you, the point is you don't right. do that with a bull. Link, bulls don't have batteries. Checkmate. It's just a bull. So I'm saying the yes. advantage of having the remote control bull Right out of the box, he's he's booyah. bullish. He's in the front yard, he's eating grass, he's running around, he's doing whatever you want him to he's do. He's having emotions? Yeah. It's like, look, I'm making him sad. Look at how sad the bull is. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> he's hungry and now he's sad. Uh, seems wrong, yeah. I, I, I will say that. Making a bull sad. But is... what if I could put a computer chip in your brain. Why are you always gotta be doing stuff to me all of a sudden? And make you like 35 IQ points higher or if I but could. But I'm 90 years old and I'm ahead on a plate no, still? No, you or? don't have to combine experiments. Okay, good. Or what if? You know, somebody's got some debilitating uh, brain disease and you can put a microchip in there and they can not get Alzheimer's that's, or something. Yes, that's a good idea. How are we gonna figure that out? Ooh. We gotta put it in a bull first, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just enjoying yeah, playing yeah, the yeah, devil's yeah, advocate yeah, yeah. here. It's interesting, it's interesting. But what, what did, did Would he... you ride a remote control bull? I've never ridden one of those bulls in. Um... I'd, I'd much prefer to ride a bull I can control with a remote than one I'm just gonna. Like a bull at the bar? Like one of those? Yeah. I've that, never been on one of those, I got a bad back. I, I would, I'm not gonna get on a bull unless I can control its emotions. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right or wrong, that's the only way I'm getting on a bull. Like I'm no cowboy. Yeah, I'm no, no... noted. <laughs> Is that all you got to say about the bull? Cause I don't wanna cut you off. Sure, yeah. I move to the next one. We didn't, did we learn anything about the bull? Uh, I mean, I learned that it, it worked. There's no conclusion. I don't know what else he did with the bull. All right, here's one for you. How far would you go to prove a theory as a scientist? Now, you, could you, I mean, listen, you like to be right. And to hmm. your credit, you are often right. Oh, really? I thought you were gonna say always. No. Um, Stubbins Firth, a doctor in training living in Philadelphia during the early 19th century, 
went way too far to prove this theory. <laughs> okay, contrary to popular belief, Firth, who, by the way, Firth, his, that's his last name, it has two Fs at the beginning. Yeah, it's Firth. So it's Firth is how I, I wanna say it. I just wanna go Firth. Firth hypothesized, contrary to popular belief, that yellow fever, this is in the early 1800s, was not contagious because it broke out much more in the summer than in the winter. He theorized it was caused by an excess of stimulants such as heat, food, and noise. I mean, yeah. you, you gotta have a theory, okay? <clears throat> and then you gotta, you gotta test your theory. Yeah. And uh, that was his theory, okay? I'm not, you know, it's 1804. I think this is, might just be a case of correlation doesn't always mean causation. He didn't set out to just test his theory. I mean, the dude went all the way to prove his theory. He was not afraid to expose himself uh, to yellow fever. Um, How did he go about that? First, he made incisions on his arms and poured fresh black vomit. Whoa. That is a quote obtained from a yellow fever patient into his cuts. Hold on, so when you get yellow fever, you make you black fresh, vomit? Fresh black vomit black and comes yellow, out black of Black and yellow, black and yellow. That's what the song means, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's all about yellow fever and so the black vomit. Smearing the fresh black vomit in his Why uh, is it cuts? black? Because of the fever. I don't know, it should be yellow. Sometimes the fever's you, yellow, the vomit's black. Just get over it, but okay? If, I, but what I'm thinking is sometimes if you do like Pepto-Bismol, it makes you poop black. Is that a similar effect? I've never uh, black vomited. You've never had yellow fever either. True. He didn't get sick. Next, he tried some vomit eye drops. Oh gosh. Which you don't you don't go to the pharmacy and buy those. You have to you have to be a scientist. You have to make those, or you just have to be a guy with uh, fresh black vomit and an eye drop. <sighs> what a, what is this he, guy? He didn't get sick. Uh, Firth didn't get sick. Uh, he started getting creative at that point. He he fried up some on a skillet and inhaled the fumes because everything's better fried. Uh -huh. We've established that. Even yellow fever. Did oh, this guy yeah. have an audience? That's a good question. Was this like I, one of the? I didn't picture people watching him like drop vomit in his eyes. I but I would have watched in one of those demonstration uh, kitchens. Step and, right up! It's frying yellow. Well, no, fever. like an infomercial, like a Ron Popeil uh -huh. kitchen. <laughs> you know, look, I'm frying up the vomit, black vomit, fried. It's got to be fresh. I'm gonna right inhale it. Look, our Barb, he's inhaling it. He did not get sick. He did not get sick. Uh, he got clinical at this point and he made yellow fever pills and swallowed those, uh, didn't get sick. Well, okay, but listen, if you're gonna put it in your eyes, you put it in your cuts, if you're gonna fry it up, of course, if you make pills, I don't know. Well, I don't know, you know, in pills. He, was, he wanted to be thorough. Thorough. Okay, I get it. Uh, eventually he was like, screw it, I'm just gonna drink entire glasses of pure undiluted black vomit. I'm just gonna drink, <laughs> I'm so thirsty. <laughs> Oh man, it's like. How do you do that? Well, you, I mean, we've eaten a lot of weird things in uh, our time. Not that. He did not get sick. Uh, he rounded out his experiment by liberally smearing himself with other yellow fever tainted fluids, blood, saliva, perspiration, and urine. Mm, this dude, he's where's committed. It, where's it getting this he stuff? Is, <laughs> I mean, people dying left and right, and he's just like. Hold on, hold on sir. Hold on, a sir. urine sample. Uh, what do you need that for? If you're gonna vomit, vomit right here into this eye drop container. Or right into my mouth. Or into my skillet. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Please vomit directly into the skillet. The dude's, the dude's totally healthy. Well, Pro maybe, maybe he's just got immunity to yellow fever. He proved his theory. Right, yellow fever is not contagious. No. Proven by 
Firth. Actually, yellow fever is very contagious. Oh, and it, but science fail. We now know that it requires direct transmission into the bloodstream, usually by a mosquito. All the all the dude had to do was get him a mosquito. Oh, all he had. Well, uh, if I would have told him that, I'd be like, oh, you mean to tell me I've been drinking vomit all this time? All I had to do to die of yellow fever was get I've a mosquito. I've been trying so hard to die of yellow fever. Just get a mosquito. Now, so it was a miracle this dude remained alive. I mean, with all these experiments that he's they because what else did this guy do? I wouldn't read a book about Stubbins Firth. <laughs> I don't. I I don't know. I'll Google him later. I'll have I'll IMDb him. Okay, I, I mean, bet he's been a star of stuff. Oh man! In the early 1800s. If this guy's drinking vomit for things, I can only imagine like what is in his in his journal and the rest of the stuff that he did. All he really needed to do was cut somebody, cut himself and put yellow fever blood. He did that, that's no. the thing. No, he didn't do that. He's... He made incisions on his arms and poured vomit. Yeah, but if he made cuts. incisions on his arms and poured blood into those. Yes, not he, vomit. He would have gotten yellow fever. He was, he For was somebody who's fixated on the frying vomit. up black vomit, he missed a really good opportunity to just actually Drink some infect blood. himself. No, drinking blood won't do it either. No, it won't, unless you have an open blood wound to blood in your mouth. contact. Yes, I did say that. You yeah, are you correct. You're Thank the you one for holding it. me to the truth of that. Uh, what would you drink vomit for, Link? <laughs> uh, probably three million views. Uh, three million views? <laughs> yeah, it, it, normal people talk about how much mm, they get paid. We talk I, about how many views we that's get. That's a 10 million view. No, no, no. To drink, uh, yeah, for me. I, I'm going to answer honestly now, but I have to think for a second. 10 million views. 10 million views? No. We've got videos with 10 million views. 100 million views. It had. It would have to be you know the what? most viewed video on earth. And I know, I wouldn't you know, do no, it. No, it wouldn't do it because if it's the most viewed video on earth, it's a video of you drinking vomit. I know, and that's so You don't want to be known for shameless. that. That's I wouldn't know. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. There's. It's like a feedback loop. It doesn't, by the time it gets worth it, it doesn't make sense anymore. You know, mm. I, there's no way I would drink vomit unless it was to like, save the life of someone that I loved. But that's an interesting experiment. Or maybe just save the life of anyone. Put the fresh black vomit in a cup, parade in YouTubers, and then just start promising views and see who goes for it first. I'm gonna shock this person unless you drink this vomit? No, it's purely a view experiment. What would you do for views? Oh, Ooh, my it sounds like a reality, that's a reality show. show. A dirty reality oh, show. Oh, gosh. It like makes you feel crazy. What would you do for, for views? It. You can't turn away. Uh, we should produce that and have nothing else to do with Not it. Not be associated yeah, publicly yeah, 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 with right, it at all. Yeah. Put under a different company with a different name. Right. Like shamefulproductions.com. <laughs> a Rhett and Link subsidiary. <laughs> it would still have to say that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean. Well, we came up with a good idea. Can we move on from the black vomit? We can. Uh, our last experiment comes from a graduate student from the University of Minnesota in 1924. Now this is a graduate student that apparently had unprecedented access to the school's collection of rats. Uh, okay. Carney Landis, was First his name? name was Carney? Carney, yes, you know he's up to no good. He was studying psychology uh, and he wondered if people make the same facial expressions when exposed to the same stimuli. Now. You may remember that we did this experiment or we talked about this experiment on Good Mythical Morning. We did the thing okay. where they had done an experiment uh, where they told people to capture two different emotions together like happy anger or sad anger or you know happy surprise. And, and, the, we, and we- And then we did them. We tried to do it but then there was like a guy, the findings were that People, there was a standard response. Are to people these around the world, across 
culturally, culturally would do this. make approximately the same expressions to capture the same emotions. Now, this guy back in 1924. In other words, like a, to prove that like in another country when you're really angry with somebody, you don't smile. Exactly. People instinctively smile when they're happy and they frown when they're sad and much, much more specific than that. In other words, facial expressions are not cultural, at least not exclusively cultural. But this one gets a little cray cray. This one's weird. Okay, so this this graduate student uh, gets his fellow graduate students to be his subjects. Then he paints lines on their faces so he could see their facial expressions better. Where was he? Like on the other end of a football field or something? No, he just wanted to be very very uh, precise. Oh, okay. Then he started doing a lot of weird stuff right in front of them. Uh, well, he gets them to smell ammonia, smelling something very strong, mm-hmm. pungent. Gets them to look at porn. Okay. He gets them to reach into a bucket of frogs. Lots so, of frogs. So we now we already know why all his friends showed up. It's like okay, you get to look at porn and touch frogs. Okay. I don't. If you're in either one of those, you can do it for free. And they lined up. Well, but then it gets a little it gets worse. Okay. Finally, he brings out a white rat on a tray, and asks them to decapitate it. Was it alive and breathing? Yes, a live white rat from the school's lab. Oh my goodness. Brings it out, says decapitate it. Now, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. if you remember our this first, wrong if, on you, a if you remember of our first experiment, Link, what percentage of people were willing to murder the guy in the first experiment? 75%. Nope, nope 66%. That, exactly, 66.66666666666. Oh. Two thirds of these people decapitated the rat when asked to. You're kidding me, what? Two, no! Two thirds. It's one thirds. thing to shock a screaming person who you don't really believe is gonna die. It's another thing to murder. Oh my gosh. Did you just make that weird noise with your mouth? I drank some water and then it like, it was the sound of a rat decapitation. I was picturing that and then you made that noise. It was really unpleasant. <laughs> Sorry. Now, but let me tell you a little. Gosh, let me tell you. Heinous. Let me tell you a little something about Carney. For the other one third, he decapitated the rat for them. When they wouldn't do it, he would step in and do it. So three thirds of all rats were decapitated in this experiment. That's all rats. Dang, Carney. So this he guy sounds like a Carney. Uh, this guy was demented. He was missing some teeth, and he was like had his hand on the lever. Of the Here, let me wheel. do it. Here, give me that rat. It's like, give me five tickets. I'll let you go around the Ferris wheel twice. <laughs> You want to go on the Himalaya? He goes forward and backwards. Oh! If you give me four more tickets, I'll let you go backwards twice as long. So this guy, in I mean, it makes me wonder. You see this? You see this rat? Is it? Chop his head off and let me take a picture of your face while you're doing it. <laughs> this is hold on, science. hold on. Let me draw some lines on there first. Let me draw some lines on your face first. Let me be pa- still. Let me paint your face and decapitate a rat. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to decapitate the rat. That's fine. I'll step in here and okay. do it, but make sure you look at it and smile for the Instagram. So do you think that, we'll get into uh, the results of this experiment in a second, but do you think that people go into these fields, at least back in the day when you could do all this weird stuff, because they're demented? Do you, do you think that people go into I science so, I so they so. can decapitate rats? 
I because there are people who like to do this kind of thing. Yeah, and I hope so. Serial because killers. The other explanation is disturbing. That normal people are just going to do these things and be cool with it. Right, because I want to know that they're demented. Because I would venture to say that even if we were doing this podcast back in 1924, which is impossible, there were no podcasts back then. There were radio programs. Listen, people suspend their disbelief the moment they press play on an ear biscuit. Really? Yeah, so go with it. Okay, so we're doing this podcast back in 1924. Two thirds of the listeners would have done this, would have decapitated a rat when their friend, Carney, their friend who they know is named Carney, <laughs> asked them to do this. He's already gotten them to look at porn and reach into a bucket of frogs. <laughs> And then he asked him to decapitate a rat. Two thirds of you people would do this. But I would venture to say that 99% of you think that you wouldn't. And you said, well, this is a different day and age. We're not 1924 anymore. But there's something, and maybe that's true, but there's something that is being revealed. You know, it's it's probably a lot of things, compliance, there's lots of factors here. Again, it's going back to the first one um, with the making people squeal and scream and, and taking the dial up to 11, so to speak. Uh, was that where he went with the experiment? No. Even though this explores the same phenomenon as the first experiment, people's willingness to obey an authority, he totally missed that and did not focus on it at all. He, he was did. only interested in the facial expressions. This was, he didn't even think twice about, he, he his assumption was, everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna chop up the rat. Of course, and if they don't, I will. I'll step in. Now, but, I gotta get to my answer. I'm not even fascinated with that. This is years before the Milgram experiment. You know, he could have been famous for proving compliance. that. Compliance, but instead, he focused on the facial expressions and his conclusion was that you could not match emotions and facial expressions, which is crazy because in more recent science, at least according to the science that we use on GMM, it has been determined that these are relatively uh, consistent across cultures, that people make similar expressions. I think maybe it was just because he was doing um, really weird stuff or maybe he drew the lines in the wrong place. Maybe his lines were inconsistent. Maybe he's a bad drawer. I think the emotions associated with uh, decapitating a live rat are pretty complicated. <laughs> yeah, maybe you it's know? just too complex. I don't I don't want to reduce that to Well, you know what I do? Gross. The the universal there is no universal facial expression for gross, heinous. I'm not comfortable doing this, but I am doing this. Like that, you know, that's there's well, some ambivalent emotions happening. What's the expression that you make when Carney takes the rat for you and decapitates it? I think it's just like, what? I'm making an expression that's like, what? And I'm never hanging out with you again, Carney. Interestingly enough, it's probably very similar to the expression I make when I get to the front of the line of the double Ferris wheel and I make eye contact with Carney. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, this is not good. This is not a good thing. I'm not gonna tell anybody this ever happened. The thing about the carnies at the uh, the Los Angeles County Fair is that they're not, they are not they don't look like normal carnies. They look too clean cut. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Uh, I've been to the, the county fair here, which is basically the same size as the North Carolina State Fair. It has all the same stuff, food, rides, animals, 
None of them are being decapitated or experimented on. Carnies aren't what they used but to the be. But the carnies are just, they don't have any missing teeth. Every carny that I dealt with at the Los Angeles County Fair had full sets of teeth, at least in the you know the front region. Maybe they were missing some molars, but I couldn't see. But back at the North Carolina State Fair, buddy, let me tell you, I'm sure it's still going strong. I mean, the, the missing tooth is where you hold the cigarette. You know, that's what I gleaned from the carnies. Ah. Uh, what have we learned today? I, you know, um, as we begin to wrap up this ear biscuit, I feel I've had a lot of fun <laughs> learning about these things. I've learned people did a lot of I'm, weird stuff. I am disturbed and I'm entertained. You but know, it's, uh, what does that say about you? Or, and what does that say about me? Because I'm also fascinated and entertained by this. I like to consider myself as the one third. I like to say I wouldn't kill a person You've proven, or an animal. I think doing this is proven as an that experiment. we're both in the two thirds. By, by devoting a whole hour to this, we may be in the two thirds. I well, like what to think of myself. Are you making listening to this right now? You look at yourself oh, in the well, mirror. Who's still listening, Link? Yeah. Is a real question. What you know? Look when at we yourself started talking in your about mirror, the puppy on the other dog, they're gone. They were gone. If you're still here, look at your face in the mirror and see what expression you're making, and see if you can see if you're okay with that. I mean, I think that we raised some interesting questions. I would love to. to we got an ethics to see your feedback on this because anatomy. I think that these questions of what is acceptable. Uh, Exhibitionism in, in terms of experimentation uh, for the benefit. Not, and I'm not talking about hey, let's test a shampoo on a rat because shampoo isn't life changing or life sha- sa- saving. But if well, if, if it's li- if it's life saving for humans, is it ethical for there to be experiments on animals? I mean, it's happening everywhere in the world right now, and you are benefiting from it in every single day that you live. Uh, if you just live in modern society. So you're experiencing the benefit of it. Is it right or wrong? So there's an ethical question for you to to chew on. Do you, are you gonna uh, invite them to hashtag your biscuits this? Because are we gonna take this to the social media forum? I don't know, we probably shouldn't. We probably shouldn't get that serious, Link. People won't know what to do with themselves. Why don't we do this? Um, we do like the conversation, so comment along on SoundCloud. Of course, you're at the end of the episode, but that's just a reminder, you can comment along if you're listening on SoundCloud, um, or let us know using hashtag earbiscuits what you think of this episode or this kind of format in general. You know, we're we're still very much committed to the default interview uh, installment of Ear Biscuits, but we every month we try to do a Rhett Link only one, and this is this is a new type. You know, that's. Uh, GMM uh, expanded director's cut conversation version. So let us know what you think about that. Um, we also appreciate you leaving an iTunes review. And I'll leave you with one question, a more pointed question, not just the sort of uh, esoteric question of, you know, what should we do to animals to benefit humans? More precisely, would you decapitate a rat? if you knew that it would save someone's life somewhere in the world. Yes. I bet you there are people out there who say, no, I'm not gonna do that. Because if you say yes to that, then you, you it's, it's a difficult question to see, well, where, where does that lead? Where does it lead, Link? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> that was my deflection. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, I, if Carney gave me a rat and said, if you, decapitate this rat, it'll save a person's life. I wouldn't hesitate to do it. What if it would save two rats' lives? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question, Link. 
All right, equal. Cool.